Liberty, it's a blessing to be back out with you guys. Um, this weekend has been uh, such a life-giving weekend to be here with you guys. And so I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, today, I wanted to do something. I wanted to um, open up God's word with you guys and look at the letter, the third letter of John. So third John. So we're just going to read the whole entire book, all 15 verses. So third John, starting at verse one. And I'm a, I'm a little old school, so would y'all mind standing if you're able in honor of the reading of God's holy and perfect word? Liberty, this is what God's word says, starting at verse one. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will, walk, we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, as we gather, as we spent the whole week in talking about mission, Lord, we have to look to no philosophy or science or anything, Father. We have to just look straight to your word. And we know everything we need to know. Thank you that every time we open up your word, um, you speak to us. And whatever you have to say is relevant because you are relevant, Father. Um, So this morning I ask, would you encourage us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Um, Would you convict us of sin where we need to be convicted? But Father, most importantly, would we fall more in love with your son, Jesus? Um, Would anything that's not about you, anything that's not about how glorious of a savior your son is or how much we need the Holy Spirit, may no one remember that today? Um, but everything that's about you, about how your son saves broken and messed up sinners, about how we are powered to live for you through the Holy Spirit, may that be what people remember today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Um, like Pastor Matt said, my name is, is JR. I'm the planting pastor of City Light Church. And if you guys don't know me, you haven't been around this whole week, and I'm kind of like that cousin that you just can't get rid of. So you, you're just kind of stuck with me. So, But um, Liberty... Maybe a little bit about our story. About 2020, we moved from Philadelphia here, my wife and I. I was born and raised in Amarillo, but went to Philadelphia for seminary, 
met my wife and we felt the Lord coming back and calling us to come back to Amarillo and replant a church on the east side of Amarillo. And so came back in 2020 and did a church planting residency or, or training with Redeemer Christian Church on Sansi Street. And during that time, I reached out to your elders here at Liberty and asked that they would want to partner up with us in this church plant endeavor that we had. And by God's grace, you guys saw fit to do that. And in, 20, in August of 2022, we launched. And since then, God has been so kind to use our baby church to do more than we could ever imagine. Um, people who have never heard about Jesus have heard about him. People who are on the brink of losing their faith uh, found a place of healing with us. Um, even people who are saying, I don't even know what I think about all this, uh, but I know that City Light's a home that I can have and, and a place to walk and figure all this out. And so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, words cannot express how you guys have been so kind and generous and your support has meant the world. You are planting gospel seeds in ways that you won't know until you get to heaven. So just thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, I, uh, I could about to cry, so I'm gonna go ahead and get back into our text before we do that. So, uh, but today to end this missions conference, I wanted to spend our time looking at the book of 3 John. Now, 3 John is actually one of the smallest books in the entire Bible. I believe it's only 300 words. And what the book of 3 John actually is, it's a letter between the apostle John and a good friend of his named Gaius. And as you read through these 15 verses, you'll see that um, the subject of the letter, what, why they're talking, what, what they're talking about has to do with these um, brothers who have gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus. Um, specifically, what it's referring to is that he's talking about these missionaries. And what the crazy thing about the book of 3 John is, the book of 3 John is all about missions, we can learn a lot about, the, uh, about missions from the book of 3 John. Specifically, I want to direct you to verse 8. As John talks about missions with his friend Gaius, look what he says in verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Therefore, we ought to support people like these, the ones who've gone out for the name, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. See, Liberty, what we learn from, from 3 John one of the most basic truths we learn is that it's the local gathering of believers. It's the local church that plays a vital role in missions. It's the local gathering of believers that plays a vital role in the glory of God and the gospel being seen and being sent out, not just into the nations, but even into your city and into your communities and into your neighborhoods. The local church plays a role in that, a vital role. And if we read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll see that this is not something we, we just make up or missionaries come and we talk about. No, this is something that's taught in the Bible from, from page to page. Let me give you an example. If you go to Acts chapter 13, verses one through, three, uh, one through four, we, we don't have time to read it right now, but if you go to Acts chapter 13, you'll see that it's in the church in Antioch where the church is gathering to worship, to pray, to fast, to, to preach the gospel the Holy Spirit moves and, can, and tells them that they should send out church planters, specifically the apostle Paul and his friend Barnabas. But it's from there that they go to a place called Ephesus. They preach the gospel, they plant a church there, people become saved. And it's from Ephesus though, a guy named Epaphras gets saved. And they send out Epaphras to plant a church in his hometown of Colossae. You see, throughout the entire Bible, it's the local church that's pushing church planting. It's the local church that's pushing the mission forward. 
I can even tell you from our own experience that when we contacted the Redeemer Network and said, yeah, we want to do this church plant, they said, okay, let's train you. And so we were trained through this organization, but the main part of our training was they wanted us embedded in a local church. They wanted us to be discipled and, and cared for from local church pastors and elders. They, they wanted us to be encouraged from local church members. And then when we were sent out, they wanted us to be supported primarily from local churches. See, for missions to go forward, for, for missions to happen, it's through the local church. And Liberty, my, my prayer for us today as we end out this missions conference is that you will see that the local church is the fuel that pushes missions forward. That, that I pray that you will see that, that it's God's ordained plan to use churches like you all, Liberty, like City Light, like uh, Primera with Pastor Carlos. It's those churches that God has planned and used, wants to use to push missions forward. I mean, simply put, I just hope we see that the local church is God's plan A for missions. So the big idea for today, the main point I hope you take away from our time together is simply this. The local church fuels missions. The local church fuels missions. And what our text is going to do for us today is going to show us um, three ways how the local church fuels the mission of God, how the local church fuels the expansion and the spread of the gospel. So when we look at the at third John, we see that the local church fuels missions because it protects three things. It protects the health of mission protects the support of missions, and then it also protects the priority of missions. So health, support, and priority. Let's start with that first one. The local church fuels missions by protecting the health of missions. And we see that really in the first four verses of our text. So let me just reread to you the first four verses, and you can follow along in your Bibles. Start back at verse one with me. Here's what it says. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So, when we read this opening of the letter, John starts out by telling his friend Gaius that he's basically praying for him. He starts out by saying, hey, I I'm praying for you. But if, but if we want to see the depth of what's being said here, we need to just see what sticks out about this greeting. It's not just a simple, man, hey, I hope, hope all's going well here. No, there's something deeper going on. So allow me just to point out two things that really stick out in this greeting to you. So when we read those first four verses, what really sticks out is that this greeting, this opening, is extremely relational. Extremely relational. I mean, the way that John is talking, scholars believe that John was the one that introduced Gaius to Christ, who, who led Gaius to Jesus. But it, it wasn't like a cold relationship. I mean, look at the familiar language that's being said here. Whom I love in the truth, um, beloved. Um, I have no greater joy than my children are walking in the truth. See, with all that language, what's being just pushed right in front of us is the fact that John had an invested interest in Gaius's life. That Gaius had an interest in John's life. 
But there was this family, even though they may not have been related, there's this family relationship there. And in fact, John is celebrating what he's seeing God doing in Gaius' life. He's saying, hey man, the reports are saying that you're walking in the truth, that, that God is powerfully working in you. Basically, John is telling Gaius, he's saying, hey son, my spiritual son, I thank God for how he's gloriously working in you. How your life is showing fruit of the gospel. So this opening is extremely relational, extremely family-oriented. But the next thing that sticks out, though, is it's extremely caring. Verse 2, if you look back at verse 2, John says, I'm not only praying for your, for your good health, but I'm also praying for your soul. It's not just a physical thing he's praying for. He's also praying for the spiritual. See, John combines the physical and the spiritual to pray for Gaius holistically. He's not just saying, man, I hope all's going well with you when you go to the doctor. He's saying, no, I, I pray that you continue to walk in the truth. I pray that you continue to be formed by the gospel. I pray that you can be continue to, to um, fight for and to pursue sound doctrine. He's praying for him in his spiritual reality, in his spiritual life. It's another reason why he praises God and thanks God for, for what, um, Gaius, what he's doing in Gaius' life. That Gaius is not only um, healthy physically, but he's healthy spiritually. And what I, I hope to point out to you right now is that in this opening, what we're seeing, this type of love and this type of care, is only manifested in one place, the local church. This type of love and family care is only seen when the, in the gathered body of believers in the local church. So, question there. What does that all, at all have to do with missions? What does, what does that have to do with missions? Well, when I was in seminary in Philadelphia, I took a church planning class. And the professor was a former church planner. And he, he brought up two important components or or participants in church planning are the people who are sent and the people who support. So the supporters and the senders, right? And, he, and the, here's the thing. When these participants, when these components of mission are isolated from the local church, that's actually extremely dangerous because it's the local church that God has designed to be like the spiritual white blood cells that protects mission from spiritual infection. See, when you isolate the support and the sender, the supporters and the senders from the local church, what ends up happening is both experience discouragement and spiritual malnutrition. Let me, let me just kind of flesh all that out for you real quick. So let's talk about the sent, the people who are sent on the mission. If those who are sent out for the sake of the name, who are sent out on the mission, if they are isolated from the local church, it is so easy to get discouraged when plans don't go the way you are. When you're in the trenches and you're working and you're evangelizing and you're inviting and you're investing in people and things just aren't happening the way you thought they would, when they're not happening at the speed that you thought they were, when, when the doors don't seem to open, it is so easy to be discouraged. And you don't have anyone to actually remind you of what God is doing. And someone from the outside looking in and say, hey, I see what God is doing. You don't have a John in your life to say, hey, I love what the Lord's doing in your life. It's so easy to be discouraged. 
But then that discouragement leads to spiritual malnutrition. If you're not in the local gathering of believers, those who are sent and they're not being sent out, if they're not being poured into, if they're not being, the gospel's being poured into, if they're not being washed in the word, if they're not being reminded of the goodness of God from his word, man, you have nothing to pour out. Your life's not being formed by the gospel. You're not seeing how the gospel's impacting you so that you can now pour that out for the sake of the name of Jesus and remind other people and say, hey, this is what the gospel can do. At City Light, we use this phrase. We say, you can't give what you don't got. When you isolate the sin from the local church, discouragement, malnutrition. Oh, what about the supporters though, right? What about the supporters? When you isolate the supporters from the local church, they also feel discouraged. They're not being reminded that the gospel is so amazing and it's not just um, connected to this aerial code. It's being sent out and, and not just into the nations, but into your um, cities, into the panhandle and into the town of Dalhar. You can't really see how the gospel's working when we isolate the supporters from the local church. You can't see the glory of the gospel when you're not in the church being reminded how glorious the gospel actually is, when you don't get to see baptisms and how the Lord is working in people's lives. You can just feel like, yeah, maybe the church's glory days are done. Maybe there's no hope for Dalhart. Maybe there's no hope for the Panhandle. Maybe there's no hope anymore. Maybe we're in a post-Christian world and man, what's the point? discouragement. But then that also leads to spiritual malnutrition. When supporters are not connected to the local church, what ends up happening is that you end up buying into the lie that your kingdom, that your idols deserve the support, the devotion, the love, and not the kingdom of God. Without the local church and without the recalibration that happens in the gathering of believers, you buy into the lie like, maybe my kingdom should come. Maybe my will should be done on earth as it is in my house or wherever, right? Without, with isolation from the local church, supporters and the sent face uh, spiritual malnutrition and discouragement. But, But look how, let me just point back to our text. Look how God uses the local church to protect the mission. To, to protect the health of those who are sent and those who are supporting. For, this, for those who are sent, what, what the Lord uses to protect those who are sent is the family. John and his family relationship with Gaius, he's encouraging Gaius, he's pointing out the glory of God and how God is working in Gaius. It's only in the local church where you have people who have a vested interest in your life with people who know you and who live life with you. And you may not be able to see it, but they say, hey man, I praise God for how he's working in you. I've seen your growth. I've seen how he's using you. I've seen what's going on there. When you're in the trenches, you can't see it, but when you have your family of believers around you, God has brought up so many people who can see it and can remind you and encourage you of what God is doing. For the supporters, you, you can see how the, the glory of God and the mission of God is working when your family members are pointing out saying, hey, look how God is using our missionary Brian in Brazil, how he's using City Light, how he's using what matter, how he's using all these ministries. The gospel is not dead. The gospel is alive and it's moving. It's only in the local church where you get that. I remember um, this past ministry year for us, I think it was in August, we had just done our members meeting and, and man, we were ready to go. We had done our, our emphasis for the year and talked about that. But I, if I was honest, I was just feeling discouraged. 
extremely, extremely discouraged. But it was members from our local church that actually reminded me, saying, JR, do you, do you see what the Lord is doing in City Light? Do you see how God has been using us? Do you see how God has been working? It is so crazy that someone who gets out of prison can find a home with us, can be loved and cared for despite their past, what, what the gospel is doing in them. It's crazy that, that the neighborhood, that our neighbors just showed up acro- from across the street when they hadn't been in church for years. Do you see the glory of God? Do you see what he's doing? I was like, man, you're right. This is crazy. God used them to encourage me. Even think about the care. When we, as a local church, when we gather, what's happening is when we're sitting under the preaching of the word and the sacraments, our hearts are being recalibrated. We're being reminded that the gospel is glorious, that God deserves everything. The missional mindset that you guys have is only created and discipled in the local church. Also on, on um, the week before Christmas at City Light, we, uh, after service, invited everyone to stay after. We fed them lunch. So we're just gonna walk the neighborhood, invite people, knock on the door, hand them an invite, invite. Crazy enough, we had a big turnout to stay after. And it, it really encouraged me to see people give up their afternoon, give up some time to go out and just have conversations with people, knock on doors, invite people. But that devotion, that type of sacrifice was not produced by strategic planning. It wasn't produced because I just gave such a great pitch and that the Domino's pizza was so delicious. It wasn't any of that. It was because when we sit under the word and we're calibrated by it into the gospel and we see the glory of God's kingdom, we understand what's worth the sacrifice. But you only get that in the local church. The local church fuels mission by protecting the health of the mission. And before we move on, Liberty, I just want to take a moment to thank God for you guys, to thank God for how he's doing that here in Liberty. I mean, last night or on Friday, one of the most I mean, powerful examples I saw is when um, Brian, the missionary you guys sent out to Brazil, um, how he was describing his story. And, and I'm, I'm new, I'm from the outside, so I didn't know much of the story, but he's describing how he was here for a while and how Liberty just cared for him and has that, that mission mindset, that missional desire was being birthed and cultivated, um, how you guys were there for him. And then as he was sent out, how you guys continued to care for him, even to the point where you guys sent the Perkins out. And the way he described it was, you sent your pastors to come and care for us. And I'm telling you, when my family comes, we find this life-giving the way you care for us. And don't get me wrong, I'm not here to like kind of, you know, uh, pat you on the back or like build you up like that because um, no one's perfect. But I think this is a moment to thank God for what he's doing here. The evidence of his Holy Spirit moving. The only response any of us should have to that is praise God for what he's doing here. So I wanted to take a moment to praise God with you. Okay, so we read in the text, he protects the, the local church helps protect the, the health of mission, but it also protects the support of missions. I mean, let's look down verses five through eight. Um, Let me read that for you real quick. Starting on verse five. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, We ought to support people like these, that that we may be fellow workers for the truth. 
When we look at verses five through six, John begins to encourage Gaius for how he's walking in the truth. And I wanna point out to you something. When John is talking about Gaius walking in the truth, when he's talking about him being spiritually healthy and mature, you notice he doesn't equate it to anything purely intellectual, right? He's not saying, oh man, guys, you're so spiritually healthy, man. You read that systematic theology in two nights. That's crazy. Um, you're teaching the Sunday school. You, you went to seminary. Man, I see all that. He, he's not necessarily saying that. I mean, those things are great, but, but he's not saying that. He's saying, I see the spiritual health. I see you dedicated to the truth, walking in the truth because of your efforts for those missionary brothers and the way you send them out on their journey. What, what John is pointing out to Gaius is that Gaius truly understands sound doctrine, that he truly is embracing the scripture because he understands that the implication of sound doctrine and knowing the word is mission. He's saying that if you wanna know if someone gets it, is, is their mission being birthed in their hearts? A priority of the mission, a support for the mission. But notice this, he's not even just talking about it as an individual reality. Go back to verse eight, the verse we, we just read earlier in the beginning. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that, they may be, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John is not saying that missions is funded by individuals going. No, he's saying that the church, the local church, is the one who supports the mission. It's the local church who fuels and funds the mission. Family, the text is showing us that the result of good doctrine is mission. A result of a family, of a church fighting and being solid in their doctrine and knowing the word is that they understand is that the local church is God's plan A for the spread of the mission. It's the local church that God has ordained to be the support of the mission. And man, I hope that's an idea that we can really just let sink deep into our hearts. And, and, and you have to see, we are not making this stuff up. It's missions week, you think missionaries are gonna come up and, and make the pitch. No, we're not making this up. This comes straight from the word of God. I mean, look at verses seven through eight. In those verses, John gives three reasons why Gaius should support the missionaries. But you can think of it like this. What he's doing is that he's showing Gaius how God has ordained the local church, why the local church is supposed to support the mission. I mean, just three simple reasons. Look at those verses. One, he goes, because these people are sent out for the sake of the name. These missionaries are being sent out for the sake of Jesus. But do you notice how, how the missionary is sent out from the church? How it's in the church where someone gets to see the glory of God, where they get to be discipled, and that desire for mission is being birthed and being cultivated. It's within the local church that missionaries are smoked out, if you will. Also, look again and say, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The Gentiles here refer more to the non-Christians. See, during that time, um, there was a lot of false teachers that would go around scamming people, scamming them out of their money, asking for gold and silver and all these things. But what the Christian missionaries would do is that through the support of the church, they would come into these regions saying, I don't want any of your money. My agenda is one thing, the gospel of Jesus. I don't want anything from you. I'm here to actually give you something that you could never buy. It's Jesus. 
But look at the last thing it says, so we may be fellow workers. Few are sent, few are, are called to be missionaries, but the whole church is called to support. The whole, God has called all the local church, all the members of the body to pray, to encourage, to support people. Even though it may look differently for each and every one of us here, but as a local body, we are all called to support the mission of the gospel, the spread of the gospel. And man, that's why I hope it, it dives deep and deep into our hearts. This, this, is, this is the biblical picture of mission that we get. Because the thing is, missions organizations and parachurch ministries are a huge blessing. But if we use the scripture to paint our picture of mission, we understand that those ministries are coming alongside the local church, helping the local church as the local church pushes missions forward. Because once again, when we isolate the local church from the support of missions, it's very dangerous. I mean, let me, let's just take the reasons John gives and let's reverse engineer those, right? The scent. Think about the people who are being sent, being sent out for the name of Jesus. God has not ordained that it's the state institution or other organizations where people will be um, brought up in the word and be sent out for him. It's only in the local church where people are seeing the glory of God and he's birthing in them a calling to mission. What about the support? God has not ordained that, that other institutions take care of the missionaries. Because a lot of times with other institutions, especially secular ones, there come stipulations with that. You can't say this, you can't talk that. Calm down on that sin stuff, you know? But with the church, when we support, we have a different type of stipulation. It is preach the gospel, elevate and exalt Jesus, talk about our need for a savior. Is your life living up to the gospel? Are you being rooted in the gospel? Is it all about Jesus? That's our stipulation. And lastly, to be fellow workers. Do you notice in the text, John isn't saying, man, it'd be a cool idea if you, if you guys support these guys. I don't know, you know. Or, man, you know, maybe, you know, when the time's right, you know, maybe if you guys think about it, maybe support the missionaries. No, it's we ought to support the missionaries. Simply put, God has ordained and called the local church to engage in the work of the mission, that we would all be fellow workers in it. It's not a suggestion. He called us to it. And it's a beautiful calling. Liberty, before we move on for, again, I just want to thank God for y'all, how he's creating and cultivating that type of fruit here in Liberty. I, I want you to put, I want to put this in perspective for you. The wins that we've experienced at City Light, they're your wins. You take part of that through your support, through your prayers. The fact that we had a guy get out of prison and feel welcome in our church, and now we're going to be preaching the gospel at the halfway house he's from. You were part of that the people who come to know Jesus there, you're part of that. Our outreaches that we've done, you're part of that. The stuff that Brian and all the other missionaries have talked about that you've supported, you're part of that because you're fellow workers in the mission. Man, once again, that's a beautiful blessing, that's a beautiful con, but we can't take credit for it. You can't take credit for it. Only God gets the credit for that because he's creating that culture here at Liberty. And we have to take a moment to say, praise God, for that. Praise God for how he's working here. Okay. So the, the local church protects the health, 
protects the support, but it also protects the priority of the mission. Let's read verses nine through 15. Let's just finish out the book. Verses nine through 15 say this. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want, who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does evil, good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would, not, I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. So in this final section of the book, John ends his letter by rebuking a man named uh, Diotrephus. And, and you, if you've read the Bible, especially the New Testament, you see that when the authors of a letter or a book of the Bible um, rebuke somebody, it always has to do with like heresy. You know, somebody is doubting the historic beliefs of the church that are taught from the Bible. But I want to point out to you something. Do you notice as John is rebuking this guy, Diotrephus, it has nothing to do with heresy necessarily? Like John's not saying he's questioning the virgin birth or the divinity of Jesus or the inerrancy of scripture or, or, any, or the Trinity. No, he's not saying any of that. The issue with Diotrephus is that he likes to put himself first. Crazy enough, Diotrephus probably could come and pass your membership exam here and be a member at Liberty, could be a member at City Light. He, he probably believes everything we do. The problem was that he liked to put himself first. He was selfish. He was prideful. I love how um, Jeff Metters, he works with the Send Network. I love how he describes pride, being prideful. He says, thinking about yourself too much while pushing God to the side. That's pride. Thinking about yourself too much, pushing God to the side. And what's so hard about being like selfishness and pride is that it's so subtle. You really can't see it on, on, like a, on an average look. It's so deep and embedded in, you can't see it. But what the text is to teaching us is that pride is actually one of the most dangerous things as it comes to mission. That selfishness can deprioritize mission in the people of God. Because you see, it's not finances or numbers or things like that. No, it's, it's selfishness. Think of it this way. The way that the enemy attacks the mission is not necessarily with persecution. It's not necessarily with suffering. No, it's with pride, selfishness. That can halt the spread of the gospel. And when you think about like the selfishness, when you think about pride, why it's so dangerous is that it produces two fruits in our lives. And so let me just kind of break that down. So it produces glory hunger and arrogance. Let's talk about that real quick. So glory hunger. You notice that John said the Diotrephus likes to put himself first. Most likely he was very active in the church. He served, he, he was around. And yet he did it all so that he could have the spotlight on himself. 
so that he could get the praise, so he could get the acclamation. Really what he was doing is that he did it all so that the, the glory and praise and acclamation that belongs to God would go to him. He was a, he was a glory thief, as we could say. But not only that, it, it produces arrogance. You notice how when John says in verses 9 and 10 that Diotrephus, he rejected the authority of John. He slandered John. But notice the way he says it is, is because he did all that through rejecting the support of the missionaries. Through actually saying, hey, you know what? What does John know? Right? This, this mission stuff, that's great, um, but we have more important things to do right now with our, with our church here. Our budget, our programs, eh, I think there's, and we, need, we, need to, we have some other things we gotta focus on. John doesn't really know what's going on here. And that sentiment is still carried out to this day. Growing up, I heard it more as, um, we know that the Bible says this, but, but we need to use some common sense. See, with, when there's a presence of arrogance and a presence of glory hunger, missions will always seem like they're not important. But you know the good news, though, is that the gospel is the only thing powerful enough to deal with pride. Because it's only through the gospel that we see that even though by, by nature and by choice, we are glory thieves, we're so obsessed with our own glory, we're dead in our sins, God in his love sent his son, Jesus, to live the life we could never live, to die the death we deserve, and to resurrect. And on the third day, he was resurrected and then his, uh, was ascended to the right hand of the Father so that all who come to him with the empty hands of faith and trust in Jesus can be made right with Jesus. They could be turned from glory thieves into living for the king of glory and his glory. And then what that does is that in the churches, we're being recalibrated by the gospel and being changed by the gospel. It's creating people who are so saturated in the gospel that the culture can't help but prioritize mission, can't help but see that the gospel has to go out. Great example in our text, Demetrius. Demetrius, uh, many scholars believe, was the guy who delivered the letter to Gaius from John. And the way that John is, is playing this is that he's making it seem that Demetrius is an example to look up to, someone to imitate. And if Demetrius is the exact opposite of Diotrephus, then I think two things stick out. One, the fact that he delivered the letter proves that he wasn't about his own glory, that he understood who was the main point of everything, that it needed to be all about Jesus, that it needed to be all about God and his glory. The fact that John had to mention his name proves that it wasn't about him. It was about God. But even more, you look in, in the next thing that pops out really is that John says that he received a good testimony about Demetrius from, from the brothers and from the church and from the truth itself, that even he gives a good testimony report about him. If you remember back all the way in verses one through four, that's the same way that John described Gaius. That Demetrius, he gets it, that the doctrine has seeped into his heart, that he, he fights and understands the doctrine because he believes in the mission. That the church should leverage it all for the mission of God. That the point is that when people enter here, that they would see the glory of God, they would see the gospel, and that this would be a place to send out the gospel. Not just abroad, but even to the panhandle. Not just to the panhandle, but even to Dalhart. Demetrius is a great example in the church because he cared more about the glory of God and that even produced in him a desire for the mission of God. The church, the local church, protects the priority 
of the mission. And one last time, Liberty, I just want to thank God for how we see that here with you guys. First night I got here Thursday, the conversations I were hearing were so encouraging. I was hearing from many of you, like, man, Dalhart needs the gospel. Man, what would, it, what would it look like for us to use what we have here for the sake of the gospel? That people would know that Dalhart's a place where you can come and you can find life and transformation. What would it look like for us to reach those who aren't here yet? The fact that you guys are asking those questions, that's an evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's the working of the Holy Spirit amongst you. And once again, you can't take credit. For, I'm sorry, you can't take credit for that. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God working here amongst you guys. And my encouragement to that is don't stop asking that question. Keep pressing. Keep going. Keep asking the Lord, what would you have us do as liberty? Well, how can we make sure that Dowhart hears the gospel? How this place, the people who are hurting and broken can hear the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Don't stop asking that question. And I praise God that you are asking that question, Liberty. So to end, let me just give you some final encouragement. As we end this weekend, as we end the missions conference, I pray that you see how glorious God is, how amazing and powerful, how he's worth everything. I pray that you see that the mission he's called you into is bigger than what you could imagine. And man, I pray that you are encouraged, that you know that, that being a local church doing what you guys have been doing, discipling, preaching the gospel, valuing the mission, sending, supporting, that's fueling the mission. That's pushing the gospel forward. I said this in the Sunday school, you don't don't know the gospel impact you're making right now. The seeds that you're planting, the things that you're doing, but you're, you're doing things that have cosmic and eternal ramifications and consequences and impacts, and you won't really know until you get to heaven. Don't stop. I pray that we can be a a, a church that's on mission by simply saying, we know that God has called us to it. So Liberty, let's be a, a family that loves the mission of God. Let's be a family that knows that the local church fuels mission. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You have done a work. You are doing something unique and crazy. Your gospel is going forward. The people are being saved from death into new life. And yet in your divine wisdom and your divine kindness, you have decided to allow us, the local church, into your work. It's a cosmic bring your kid to school day, bring your kid to work day, Father, but you allow us to take part. You let us see the blessings of of what it is to send and to support. May missions never just be a trivial thing here. May it it never just be a Christian thing, Father. May it be a thing that reminds us how glorious you are and the work that you've put before us, how important it is. Thank you for the the fruits of your spirit that are in this church body, Lord. Um, May we not stop. May they keep going forward in it, knowing that you're the one producing it, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? This is our response song.